0: Welcome to the Preaching Matters Podcast. My name is Alan Carr and I am your host. The Preaching Matters Podcast exists to help preachers become better at what God has called them to do. And in these podcasts, we talk about all matters related to preaching because we believe preaching matters. So thank you for being here today and I hope the episode is a blessing to you. Now, just up front, if you would, please go to your favorite podcast directory and leave us a positive review. It'll be a help to us. It'll be a great blessing. And that's the best way you can help any podcast. You can reach me at alancarr at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for our future episodes. With that being said, thank you again for being here. Let's go to today's episode and talk about preaching. Welcome back to the Preaching Matters Podcast. This is Alan Carr, and today you have arrived at episode number 91, in which we're going to talk about preaching from the white spaces. That's right, preaching from the white spaces. Now, you say you should never preach from the white spaces. I want to show you that preaching from the white space can be very dangerous, but there are times when preaching from the white spaces can be truly beneficial. So let's explore both the good and the bad side of preaching from the white space. Now, when I say white spaces, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, right? It's the tiny spaces between the verses in our Bibles or perhaps between the chapters in our Bible. And most of the time, there's really nothing there to to think about or to explore because the previous verse moves right into the next verse and nothing is missing or nothing is intentionally left out. The story flows, the logic flows, and it all fits and makes sense. However, there are those times when some matters appear left unsaid in the white space. And if we uphold the inspiration and authority of Scripture, which I hope you do, then you understand there's good reason for this. God hasn't revealed everything to us, and God has done this intentionally. We don't need to know everything that happens behind the scenes and we can't know everything anyway. So why even bring this up? Well, I bring it up because sometimes what lies in the white spaces is essential. And I want to give you a few examples if I can. Because one of the the examples I'm going to mention is Psalm 13. There appears to be a significant white space in Psalm 13. And it can't be denied that there's a remarkable change of heart and faith that occurs in David somewhere between verse 4 and verse 5, right there in the white space. He moves from despairing faith to rejoicing faith. He moves from crying, How long, O Lord, in verses 1 and 2, to singing to the Lord in verse number 6. So what happened in the white space in Psalm 13? Well, let's read the psalm and find out. Let me just read that to you, verse 1. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Verse 2. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Verse 4. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against them, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Verse 5 but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. And finally, verse 6, I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. And that is Psalm 13, verses 1 through 6 from the King James Version. So what happened between verse 4 and verse 5? David is frustrated about his enemies. He's calling on God to help him. But then in verse 5, suddenly he says, I have trusted in your mercy and my heart will rejoice in your salvation. Then in verse 6, David is singing unto the Lord for the Lord's blessings. Well, what happened? Well, we don't know because it's in the white space, but apparently God answered David's prayer. God considered his need. God answered him. God lifted David's eyes. God heard, moved, revived, restored, refreshed and renewed his servant's heart and faith. And there's a miracle there, but it's invisible. It is not written. It is not recorded, but it is there nonetheless. Now, I hope you can see what's lying in that white space between Psalm 13, verse 4 and Psalm 13, verse 5. It is there. There is a dramatic change in David's life. Now, I want to caution you you got to be careful in preaching the white spaces. Be careful that you don't put in the Bible anything that is not in the Bible. It's very dangerous to put words in God's mouth. We do not exegete the white space, right? But here in this psalm, there's such a dramatic transformation in David's faith and David's disposition that there is no doubt the invisible hand of God has lavished grace upon his child. And I think that's precisely why it's in the white space. You can't see God moving. His spirit moves like the wind, unseen yet undeniable. And the evidence that God has been on the scene in this psalm in answer to David's pleading and praying is undeniable too. He didn't forget David as David thought he had in verse 1. He didn't hide his face again as David said in verse 1. He didn't leave David alone, as David despaired of in verse 2. And David's enemies who fight against God will not prevail either, also as David feared in verse number 2. So what do you do with the white spaces? You do not try to fill the blanks, but you don't deny God's grace and presence either. God does hear, and he does answer the prayers of his people. God does grant much-needed faith, grace, and mercy. God does give us our daily bread, and that is the point of Psalm 13. It is right there in black and white. So, having given you that example, let me just mention, if I can, some some thoughts about the white spaces which fill our Bibles, and our Bible is full of them. Between every verse and every word and every chapter in the margins, there's plenty of white space in our Bible. And if you carry a wide margin Bible, you have even more white space in your Bible. So let's talk about a few thoughts, cautions, ideas, perhaps, in handling the white spaces in your Bible. I would say first, doctrine should never be based on what isn't in the white spaces. You should never build doctrine on what God does not say. Yes, you may draw conclusions, but sometimes you might build doctrine on the white space, and you have to be careful. Let me read you another passage. This is Revelation chapter three, verse twenty two, into Revelation four, verses one and two. Revelation three twenty two says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Then in chapter four, after this I looked, and behold a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will shew thee things which must be hereafter. Then verse 2 says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now, a lot of people see that white space between Revelation 3 and Revelation 4, and they read into it something which is not there. Some people ask sometimes, where do you find the rapture in the book of Revelation? And many preachers, especially those of premillennial dispensational background, will say, well, it's right there between Revelation 3.22 and Revelation 4, one. It's right there in the white space. But the fact is, it's not there in the white space. To shoehorn the rapture of the church between Revelation 3 and 4 you have to read something in there that is not implied, something that is not inferred, and something about which you only can get from using your imagination because there's a door opened in heaven and there's a trumpet and then John is called up and then he's in the presence of God in heaven. So that's obviously the rapture, right? No, not obviously. If you read that into it, then you can build doctrine on that but I think that's dangerous. If there is no inference, if there is no push in that direction, you are never free to build doctrine on what you do not find in the white space. So be careful about that. Doctrine should never be based on what isn't said in the white spaces. A second thought I would mention is that white spaces can be dangerous When we read into them thoughts, they obviously do not contain. And if we're not careful, we will fill the white spaces with inferences, imaginations, speculations, and this will inevitably lead us to eisegesis. Now, if you remember from earlier episodes, eisegesis is reading into a text what isn't there. What we want to do in preaching is practice exegesis, in which we bring out of the scriptures what is there. So let's be careful that we don't fill the white spaces with inference, imagination, and speculation because we will be engaging in eisegesis and we will get into trouble doctrinally. But there are sometimes, and this is the third thought, sometimes the white spaces can lead us to biblically accurate conclusions. And I give as example Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. We know this as the parable of the prodigal son. And you know the story, right? There's a wealthy man. He has two sons. The younger demands his inheritance, and he goes out and squanders it with riotous living. Then reaching a place of poverty, destitution, and abject loneliness, this boy repents of his sin. He returns home to his father And when he returns home, the father receives him. He lavishes love upon him. He restores him to his place in the family, and the father blesses him. And they wind up and have a massive celebration in which they kill the fatted calf, and they have a great time together. But there's one person missing, and that's the elder brother. And this is on my mind today because I just finished uh, preparing a sermon on the elder brother or the boy who I have, and i have entitled the sermon, the parable of the bad good son. That's what I titled it. And I have to read into the white space at the end because stay with me here. If you look at Luke chapter 15, Jesus is preaching to a group of publicans and sinners. These are wicked people and the scribes and Pharisees there are there to watch and listen to what Jesus says. And so Jesus shares these parables in Luke chapter 15, some say three, I would say four. He talks about the parable of the lost sheep. The sheep goes away. The shepherd leaves the ninety and nine in the fold. He goes after the one till he finds it, and he brings it back rejoicing. A lady has ten coins. She loses one in her home. She lights a lamp. She sweeps. She searches. Until she finds it, then she rejoices. Then you come to the parable I'm talking about right now, and you have this son who goes away. He would have been considered a dead man. When he returns home, the unthinkable happened. Instead of judging him and treating him harshly, or even potentially stoning him to death, as he would have been allowed to do under Mosaic law, the father lavishes love and grace upon him and restores him to his place In the family, but there's someone missing the elder brother. He's out there in the field working where he always is. He's not at the celebration. When he nears home and finds out there's a party going on because his brother has returned home, he gets very angry and he refuses to come in. His father, in grace and love, goes out and gently and tenderly begs him, entreats him, pleads with him to come in and celebrate because it was necessary that they rejoice. This boy who was dead is now home alive. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to dig deeper in your study of Reformed Theology? The All of Life for God podcast presented by Reformation Heritage Books offers you weekly sermons, audiobook chapters, and interviews that will help strengthen your relationship with Jesus Christ. So what are you waiting for? Just search All of Life for God wherever you get your podcast and start listening today. Presented by Reformation Heritage Books. But the son says to the father, all my life I've been your slave. That's his language. I've been a slave here. I've never left. I've never done what he did. I've never acted like him. And yet you have never given me a celebration. And so he's upset. And then the story just ends. You have the father standing there. You have the son. And the son is angry. The father is full of love, grace, and mercy. His heart is overflowing with thanksgiving because his son has returned home. But you have this juxtaposition of these two individuals, the happy, rejoicing father and the very angry son. And then the parable just ends. It just ends. There is no ending, we don't know did the did the boy go in did he did he fellowship with his father and his brother? did he repent of his attitude? Did he get things right with God, or did he just stay out in the field? What happened? We do not know. Well I think the answer lies in the white space because every parable Jesus gave was in response to the unbelief of the Jews back in Matthew thirteen, Jesus explains why. He, he spoke in parables, and he said he did it because their ears were closed to the truth, so he would hide truth from them in the form of parables. So, it is my contention that every parable in the Gospels is, is given in judgment on the nation of Israel. Parables are about judgment. So, when you come back to Luke 15, 11-32, let's talk about who we see there. In the father, we see God. In the young son who goes out and lives a life of sin, we see the sinners and the publicans. In the person of the elder son who stayed home, we see there the scribes and the Pharisees. So how does the story end and why didn't Jesus end it? Jesus didn't end it because the story of Israel had not yet ended. There was still time for them to repent. There was still time for them to embrace Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and the Savior. There was still time to do that. The story had not ended, even though Christ knew the ending. The story had not yet ended, so Jesus did not give the ending. But the ending would come a short time later when the elder brother murdered the father and that's how the story ends. The scribes and the Pharisees conspired together to convict Jesus of a crime he did not commit, and they connived with Rome to have him crucified, and so that story ends with the father being murdered by the elder brother, and all that's in the white space. Hope you can track with me on that, and uh, we need to be careful. When we handle that and don't say this is what the Bible says, because it obviously doesn't. But using the parable over against the parallel of what Israel did to Jesus, we can conclude that that is how that single parable ended. Okay? Hope that makes sense. Now, another thought about the white spaces is that sometimes the white spaces are artificial. And you see this in uh, John chapter 13, John chapter 14, there's other places too. But you have chapter 13 ending with Peter telling the Lord he would lay down his life for Jesus. And then in verse 38 of John 13, Jesus said, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. And that's the end of chapter 13. And you have this gaping white space there after chapter 13. Then you come to chapter 14, and the Bible says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 2, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go prepare a place for you. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there is ye may be also so you have this disconnect between chapter 13 and chapter 14 and typically when we come to chapter 14 our minds are on heaven our minds automatically go to the father's house and we do not think about the connection between chapter 13 and chapter 14 but if you go back and think about what jesus said to these men he has just told them that peter their Human leader, as it were, the the kind of the chief of the <laughs> disciples, he's going to deny Jesus three times. They're upset, and beyond that, Jesus told them before that he's getting ready to go away, and where he's going, he said, "You cannot come." And he's telling them, "I'm leaving, and you guys are going to deny me." They had to be brokenhearted. They. Had to be disturbed and they had to be upset. But if you read that without the white space, it says, This the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also now there's a lot in there and i won't take time to unpack it all but jesus knows their hearts are shattered they are troubled so immediately telling them that peter will deny him three times jesus said let not your heart be troubled he's speaking to the individual he's using that pronoun your the individual let not your individual hearts be troubled. Then he says, Ye believe in God, believe also in me. All of you believe in God. Now put that faith in me. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, the individual. He said, I will come again and receive you, the individual, unto myself, that where I am, all of you may be also. So do you see how taking out the white space between John 13 and John 14 changes the entire emphasis? of the beginning verses of John chapter 14. Jesus says, you're going to mess up. You're going to step in it tonight. You're going to track it all over the house. But I want you to know I still love you, and I still care about you. You will be knocked down, but you will, be knocked, you will not be knocked out. I am going to my father's house. I'm preparing a place for you, and I'm going to come again and get you and just because you mess up does not mean that I still that I don't still want you. Jesus is saying to them I still want you. I still care and I still have a place for you and you're still part of my plan for the future. So sometimes the white spaces are artificial and keep that in mind. As you read your Bible remember that the chapter divisions in our Bible did not come into play until around the early part of the 13th century. A guy named Stephen Langton, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, he divided the New Testament into chapters. They were not there originally. They're not inspired of God, but Langton did that, and I'm glad he did. But he did put them in the wrong place a few times, and here's one of them, and that's in my humble opinion. Call me what you will, but I do not believe they're all in the right place. Later on in the, in the 16th century, our New Testament would, would be divided up by verses, and when that happens, some of them are also in the wrong place. Now, if you want to see this again, go to 2 uh, Corinthians and chapter number uh, 6 and 7, and you'll find there that the white space is in the wrong place. Chapter number 6 should not end where it does. Chapter number 7 should not begin where it does. But again, that is just a, a thing that's my view on that. So take that as you will. Take it with a grain of salt. Don't build theology on it, okay? Same as you shouldn't build theology on the white space. Don't build your theology after car theology. Study it out for yourself. So we come to the question now should a preacher ever preach from the white spaces? Should you ever preach from the white space? When I get around to preaching that message I prepared this morning on the elder brother, I am certainly going to preach from the white space. So I'm going to do it. not going to build doctrine on it, but I am going to draw a connection between that parable and the ultimate death of Jesus at the hands of Rome and Israel on the cross. I'm going to draw that connection. So should you ever preach from the white space? Well, you should only do it if you can prove what you believe you see in the white space from the clear words of the Bible. It's like everything else we preach. If you see something there that you think is missing from the white space, or to put it better, that you think God has left out for a purpose, and you think you have found that purpose, be sure you can back up what you think you see there with a clear word from God. And when you do, yes, by all means, preach it and let it stand. But just remember to tell the congregation this is in the white space, all right? It's not the same as preaching from the book of Hesitations or the book of First Parentheses because that's all made-up stuff. But here there are inferences that can be drawn. There are conclusions that can be reached. There are implications that sometimes arise out of the white spaces that should be taken note of. And those things are important, and we should pay attention to them because they can prove to be a blessing both to us and to those who hear us. So that's all i got to say about the White Spaces. Thank you for tuning in today. And come back next week. We'll do something else, and I appreciate you being along for the ride. Be sure to reach out to me at alancarr at gmail.com. There's a couple things I want to know. Are you listening? Is it helping? Do you have ideas for future episodes? Is there anything I can make better? And do you like the new theme music? Let me know. God bless you, folks. I appreciate you. And until we talk again, just keep preaching. Preach the Bible because preaching matters. Thank you for listening today to the Preaching Matters podcast. I hope you learned something. Hope you got some help in your ministry. Please pray until next time and come back next week when we'll have a new episode, Lord willing. Until then, keep preaching because preaching matters.